Let's pray. You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For you have created all things, and for your pleasure we are and we exist. We are grateful to you for your steadfast love. We are grateful that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We thank you that you loved us when we were so unlovely, and we are thankful for your sustaining grace. As we look into the pages of the Bible today, I pray that you would instruct us and teach us the way we should go, that you would guide us with your eye upon us. Speak that we may love you, appreciate you, and follow you well. In Jesus' name, amen. It's a pretty common experience to face a difficult situation that you wish were different, right? When I pull up to the gas pump, I think, I wish things were different. And that's rather minor, but for people who are really struggling to make ends meet, it's not a small thing. And of course, there are all kinds of situations we wish were different. Sometimes there are things going on in our family or the lives of close friends. And boy, you say, boy, I wish I could just change that situation because they're struggling, there's pain, people being hurt, people doing dumb stuff that's gonna come back and really harm them and harm others. And in those circumstances, if you're a Christian person, you know, I'm sure you have heard, you know, we ought to pray. We ought to ask for God to help and we should seek his provision. He does miracles after all. And yet, if you have done that kind of thing, you wouldn't be a rare person if you say, you know, I, I thought I did everything I was supposed to do and yet I didn't get what I was asking for. It happens. It happens pretty frequently and sometimes we're just kind of left scratching our head and saying, well, I, I don't know what went wrong. Maybe it was just me, maybe it's God. I don't have all the answers for every circumstance in life, but I do want to point you today to a passage in the Bible, a story from the life of Jesus that I think sheds some light on this particular dynamic that I'm describing. Uh, if you'd like to look in your Bible, it's in the Gospel of Mark in chapter 9. In this particular story, there's a father who has a son who's really, really in bad shape. And he wants desperately to find help for his boy. And so he tries one thing and that doesn't work out. And he tries another and it doesn't look like that's gonna work either because it doesn't look like he's going to meet the qualifications. And yet, in the kindness of God, good things come out. Let's read it and then we'll reflect some, just kind of walk back through the story. We got lessons we can learn. It begins with a reference to they, that's Jesus, Peter, James, and John. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing about? He asked. A man in the crowd answered, teacher, I brought you my son who was possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. 
Oh, unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for him who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the evil spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet and he stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, this kind can come out only by prayer. The Gospel of Mark reports four situa uh, situations where there was a demon affliction and where Jesus cast evil spirits out. And in this one, the fourth of the four in the Gospel of Mark, there is comparatively less said about the astounding fact that the evil spirits were subject to Jesus. And there's more focus on the human element, the father and Jesus' disciples. And as Mark provides these details, he's wanting his original readers and he's wanting us to understand how these dynamics work and to see what uh, kinds of um, responses to Jesus um, are appropriate. You have this father and he's obviously concerned. Yeah. Any good father would be. His boy is troubled and over and over he has struggled. And so um, as a caring father, he was surely, he had looked for answers through the years and now he brought him to these disciples of Jesus. It's an interesting thing. The father says, when Jesus asks him, you know, why are you arguing? The father comes forward. He says, I brought my son to you. Then he describes the, the boy's uh, problems. And then the father says, I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. There's an interesting dynamic at play here, and it happens a lot. It has happened a lot historically. It still happens a lot today. And that is people who are needy, who are looking for help from Jesus, go first to people who are followers of Jesus. You see, the father in his own mind, he said, I brought him to you, Jesus. But then when you get into the details, he said, well, I brought it to your disciples and they couldn't do anything about it. And I would just confess to you some of you, maybe you're outside the Christian faith and you're just thinking about it. Some of you are just sort of on the edge. Maybe you're raised in the Christian faith, but you're not sure now. And oftentimes people who are on the periphery like that looking in 
If we ask, why are you on the outside looking in, or why are you just at the margins? They say, well, I've been disappointed by Christians, or I've been disappointed by a particular church. Or maybe you say, I'm pretty disappointed with the wide sweep of Christianity. They've let me down. They didn't come through. They didn't deliver on what the Bible led me to believe that God would do for me. And if you're in that circumstance, I want to say, boy, I'm really sorry. And just acknowledge, yeah, as individual Christians, as individual churches, and sometimes the larger Christianity, we don't live up to the ethos of Jesus. We don't have the character and the caring of Jesus. And sometimes we just botch it in how we respond to people who really have a need and who come looking for Jesus to help them, but we're the ones they meet. So just let's acknowledge that. But let me say beyond that, if you're in that situation, you feel like you've kind of been burned by Christians and Christianity, press on and get to Jesus himself, would you? Because he will not let you down like we might and almost surely will over time. And so this father, to his credit, recognized that he did need to get to Jesus and Jesus took initiative with him. And so the father then responded further. And so it's just a reminder to all of us You know, look ultimately to God himself and do not put our faith in the flawed, frail followers of Jesus. Let's say to us as Christian people, part of the church, we do need to up our game, so to speak. We do need to be the kind of people who show the character of Christ and the love of Christ and who are available. It may not be that we're going to um, ever have the reputation that Jesus did. I wouldn't expect it but we can be noted for our love and our Christ-likeness. In this case, you have this father and Jesus says, well, bring the boy to me. And when the father brought the boy to Jesus, the spirit, as soon as it saw Jesus, it threw the boy into the familiar symptoms. Convulsion. He fell on the ground. He rolled around. He was foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been this way? And the father says he's been this way from childhood. He said, the spirit has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. Just imagine what it's like for a father like that to see, my son is being afflicted. His life is threatened. And so here's a father who's urgent. He is seeking help for his boy. And he doesn't know what to do except just to try. And so in that moment of real fierce desire to get his boy some help, he sort of blurts out a line that, no, I think it just reflected the honest thought he had at the moment. And so he said to Jesus, after describing all this, if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. if you can do anything. And Jesus picks up on that phrase immediately. If you can, Jesus says, if you can. And then he reassures the dad. He said, look, if there's a problem here and this boy's being delivered from this, the problem is not on my side. This problem is not my power. There's plenty of power. This father's question really is 
raising that issue, you know, if you can. He didn't seem to have any doubt that Jesus cared, but he questioned whether Jesus could. In another circumstance where you had a man who was um, afflicted by the skin disease, the Bible calls leprosy, he said to Jesus, if you are willing, you can make me clean or healed. In that case, the leprous guide had no doubt about Jesus' ability, but he had question about Jesus' willingness. If you're willing, you can make me clean. This father says, if you can do anything, please do it. As we struggle, as our faith is shaken by difficult circumstances, we tend to find one or these other aspects of Jesus, of God the Father, Son, and Spirit, that, that uh, we get, you know, we're troubled by. We think, I don't know that he cares. I don't know that he really is willing to help. Or we say, yeah, I think he cares. I think that I, I just don't see how he can do anything about it. Does he love? Is he able? And those two, and sometimes both together, are, are at the crux of a whole lot of spiritual struggle. Is God good? Does he have power? And in this case, Jesus very quickly assured him that, yes, I can do anything that is in keeping with my will. He has no limitations according to power. Now, in this line that Jesus says, everything is possible for him who believes, that line has sometimes been jerked from this story and just sort of pasted as a banner as though, if I believe any old thing, it will come to pass. And Jesus was never promising that kind of thing, that I just, you know, if I think long enough and hard enough that pigs will fly and that they can fly, then ultimately they will fly. Uh, no, he's not doing anything like that. And there are versions of purported Christianity that make a whole lot out of this, trying to whip up people's uh, greed, really, frankly, and try to imply that, you know, you have a right to all the things you want. That's not what Jesus was getting at. He's saying, I have adequate power, more than sufficient power for anything that the Father wants done in your life. And so the Father then replies. I think he feels like, you know, I've, I've said the wrong thing. And he kind of had. But he kind of hadn't either because he spoke honestly with Jesus. And as you'll see in just a second, Jesus really appreciates people who speak honestly with him. In fact, some of Jesus' harshest words in all of his life on earth were for deeply religious people who put on a facade, an exterior that looked really good, but inside their life was altogether different. It was corrupt and dirty. Jesus really had no uh, patience with hypocrisy or pretense trying to fake it religiously. As you see here, <laughs> the father wasn't trying to fake it. When Jesus said, all things are possible to him who believes, the dad blurts out, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. You appreciate the candor of it, don't you? <laughs> he wants, oh yeah, I believe. Put me down, believe. And yet he honestly fesses up. But I need you to help me with my unbelief. 
Now, from a strictly logical standpoint, you'd say, okay, you can't both believe and not believe. Those are opposites. So you believe or you don't believe. You don't believe or you believe. It's this or that, that or this. But if we move beyond that level of simplistic logic to the realm of human experience, I'd bet a bunch of you would say, oh, yes, you can believe and not believe. I have. There are times that our mind tells us God is trustworthy. The Bible has these promises. I can cling to those. I can be confident in that. And yet, churning in us is this gnawing doubt. It may be fueled by our own fears. It may be fueled by the work of the evil one trying to keep us from being at peace and harmony with God. It may be our surrounding culture. It may be family, friends, neighbors, coworkers who are telling you message contrary to what you are purposing to believe based on scripture. So if you are like this fellow and you say, boy, when I assess myself, I believe and yet I realize I need some help with really putting away my unbelief. The great news is Jesus did not have a word of criticism to that man on that point. Did you notice? He immediately went on and he did what this father had asked him to do. It, it's clear evidence that Jesus understands that a lot of people live with this mixture and that even our capacity to trust God fully is itself a gift from God. It's a work of God in us to give us a peace, an inner tranquility. And so if you're in that struggle, feel, feel free. Join along with this dad and say, God, I believe, I want to believe, I'm committed to believing and trusting you in this, but I'm struggling. Would you help me even as I struggle to trust you fully, to believe completely? It's the kind of prayer that God is delighted to answer. The famous pastor, D.L. Moody, asked people to think about trust or belief sort of as in light of three scenarios. He said, suppose you're out in deep water, you're way over your head, and you're just treading water furiously trying to keep your nose above the water line. He said, there's a kind of faith that's like that. It's a struggling, striving, almost desperate faith. He said, there's another experience of faith that's more like somebody who's in deep water, but they got both hands on the side of the boat and they're hanging on. It's a clinging faith he talked about. You're hanging on. And he said, there's a third experience of faith that You've actually managed to get in the boat. You're sitting there and now you can reach out for people who are out of the boat and help them get in as well. He calls that a resting, resting faith. Faith is not one simple thing. It's, it's a dynamic of relationship, of trust. And you may find yourself in over your head and paddling furiously or clinging to something, the promises of God or reassurance that you've gotten from scripture, or you may actually be more secure and at peace. But God is at work and he helps us move from wherever God finds us when we turn to him and to where we need to be, where he wants us to be. So after the father says, I do believe, help me uh, overcome my belief. 
is an interesting little line, verse 25. Mark says, when Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the evil spirit. What's this about him seeing a crowd running to the scene and acting immediately? I don't want to overdo it here, but may I just briefly make a contrast? You know, there is a variety of faith healer who's who always is trying to build big crowds and big spectacle and make a big name for themselves and, you know, all that. They, lots of publicity when they go on their campaigns. It, it's interesting. Jesus did just the opposite. He could have waited and the crowd would have been bigger and more people would have seen it, but instead... When he saw the crowd was growing, he acted quickly. Just an interesting difference in how some people go about these things. So he rebuked the evil spirit, you deaf and mute spirit. He said, I command you come out of him and never enter him again. You know, the father had told Jesus that he keeps coming back. This this spirit keeps coming back and Jesus tailors his rebuke and his command to that specific need. It's, It's a wonderful sign of Jesus really being attentive to the specifics of that circumstance. So, verse 26, the spirit shrieked, convulsed the boy violently, and the spirit left, and the boy's body was left there just prone. He looked like a corpse. And Mark says, many of the people who were there said, he's dead. He's dead. The boy's dead. He died. Jesus, he's dead. Imagine what it was like to that father to see his son lying there prone still and hearing around him, he's dead, he's dead, he's dead, he's dead. What a moment of crisis. Just parenthetically, make a note. You can follow Jesus, you can trust him, and when he starts working in your life, things might appear to be getting worse rather than better. Okay, did here, right? Looked like what Jesus had done and made his situation worse. But in fact, Jesus reached over, grabbed him by the hand and helped him up on his feet. That's the translation that I've read today, the NIV puts it that way, lifted him to his feet. But Mark is very canny here. The verb that he uses in the original writing of this is the word raised. It's the same word that is frequently used later on to talk about Jesus coming back from the dead to life. And so Mark is saying, Jesus raised that boy. He's hinting that the same power that would raise Jesus from the dead in just a couple of years is the same power that was at work through Jesus in meeting this boy's need. So later After Jesus was alone, his disciples went to him and they said to him, you know, privately, why couldn't we cast that evil spirit out? Now, as far as background goes, you know that they had seen Jesus cast evil spirits out of people. He had told them at a previous time, I give you authority to go and to preach the good news, to heal the sick and to cast out evil spirits. And they had gone and they had successfully done so. In fact, they had come back rejoicing. The evil spirits are subject to us when we cast them out in your name. And so they're saying, what what, what happened? What did we do wrong? You know, surely they're concerned about the boy and his well-being. Also, you know, it was no fun failing publicly and then have your critics jump your case. 
And so they're asking, what do we do wrong here? And Jesus' response is, this kind of comes out only by prayer. Hmm. But in Jesus' own ministry, in this particular case, did, did Jesus offer prayer? Did he pray and then say, I, okay, no. So apparently what Jesus is talking about is not a kind of magical prayer or incantation that you say right at the moment, but what he's talking about apparently is a life of prayer, an ongoing intimate relationship with God that happens through prayer as we dialogue with him. And it's out of that kind of solid connection with God that then his power flows. It's a reminder that, you know, when God has chosen to use you or me in ministry to people, when he's given us capacity to do important work for his kingdom's sake, it's his power flowing through us. It's not that we then sort of say, okay, God, I got this. I had power at work for me today. I'll take it from here. And I think that's what happened. But Jesus saying, no, this always is goes back to being rooted in relationship with God, humility, dependence on God and awareness that he doesn't just say, okay, hey, take a bunch of power and use it as you see fit. God says, yeah, I have all power and it will go through you as you are aligned with me. So it's great news, but also a cautionary note. And particularly for those who have a lot of experience in ministry, it's easy um, to lose that constant connectedness that Jesus says is essential. So with all this in mind, the, the point, it seems to me, of this being in the Bible is to reassure us. No matter how badly it has gone, there is hope in Jesus Christ. Second, make sure that you're really dealing with the God who is and not through some people who are very poor representation of him. And sort of third, if you're one of those representatives, if you're a Christian person, you're trying to be caring toward others, hey, let's really open up our lives to let God work through us, our attitudes and our values so that we really are good channels of God's work and God's mercy. And we all trust that he is at work in every person who has committed themselves to him. He is drawing us ever more Christ-like. He has the power, and if we trust him, even if we have a mixture of belief and unbelief, and we're asking for him to help us overcome our unbelief, that itself is pleasing to God, and he can work with us. Take heart. It's this kind of God that the Bible puts before us, and a God who knows that we struggle, and he is prepared to work with us on that basis. Now, would you pray with me?